When you do a podcast, one of the general rules of thumb is that you don't want to talk too much about current events because if the listener is is listening to the show afterward, the material's dated, may not be relevant. Having said that, we are going to talk about a current event today. Today is Halloween, so it's October 31st, 2017. So whether you listen to this a week from now or a month from now or a year from now, even though I'm, I'm going to get into some current events, I think that no matter when you listen to it, it's going to be applicable. It's going to be relevant, I should say, simply because the the two topics have been around forever as issues, and that's not going to change. At least not in your lifetime, it's not going to change. So in the news right now, well, there's many things, but as it relates to personal finance, the, the two big items are changes in the tax code and Social Security. So let's do Social Security first. Every once in a while, a study comes out and it says what they always say, which is if we don't make changes to the Social Security system, the program will be, and this is usually their term, insolvent by 2030, 2035, something like that. So if you're in your 80s right now, you probably don't care. If you are in your 50s or 40s, you probably do. Let's first understand that the system will never be insolvent because the way the math works. The whole idea behind Social Security, and I'm sorry, but it follows the same math of a Ponzi scheme, is that you have a lot of people at the bottom putting money in, and you have very few people at the top pulling money out. So if you don't like the term Ponzi scheme, well, pyramid scheme, how's that? Does that make everybody feel better? I know the press gets very upset when politicians refer to it as a Ponzi scheme. But if you look at the math, if you look at the math of a Ponzi scheme and you compare it to Social Security, it's it's the same thing. And like all Ponzi schemes, eventually the, the math doesn't work for you. Uh, you start to have withdrawals coming out at an alarmingly higher rate than expected, and it falls apart. So whether it be the original Ponzi scheme that Charles Ponzi created or the more infamous one that Bernie Madoff created, it's the same thing. You're having people put money in, you're having few few people, I should say, pulling money out. Now, in the case of Social Security, demographics ruled the day. So back in the 30s, when FDR created the system, he had 42 workers putting money in for every one person pulling money out. And life expectancy wasn't even close to what it is today. So on average, most people weren't even supposed to get a check. And if they did get a check, they only got it for a couple of years on average. So the math was very good for the Ponzi scheme. You only put in 1% of the first $3,000 that you made. So that's 30 bucks. And your employer matched it. So 60 bucks is what was put in. And uh, now it's obviously very different. Now you're putting in, with Medicare and Medicaid, on top of it, you're putting in about 7.65%, and your employer is matching that. So a lot more money is going into the system. And the reason that money's going into the system, well, yes, one, people are living longer. And now, if you get Social Security on average, you're going to get it well over 20 years. But the other thing is, there just aren't nearly as many workers to recipients. So whereas, again, we had 42 workers putting money in for every one person pulling money out, it's down to three. And with the current trends going forward, it's expected to go down to two, which is not really a reduction of one. It's a reduction of one-third. So it's a significant drop. It's estimated that by uh, the next eight years, so about 2025, I believe, is when they think it's going to go down to two. So clearly, this is something that's not going to go away. Unfortunately, it's easy to kick the can down the road if you're a politician because, let's face it, most of them won't even be in office when this happens. But the courageous ones will address it. Now, 
I could argue that it's a horrible system and we should just get rid of it, but that's not going to happen, so I'm not even going to make that argument. What I am going to do, though, is give you some insights on how they've addressed this problem before, because this isn't the first time we've been in this position. Uh, in the 80s, same thing happens. Social Security was going to be in trouble in about 30 years, so at that point, they instituted a few changes. Well, what did they do? Well, the first thing they did is they increased the earnings level for contributing. So right now you only pay the tax on roughly the first $120,000 you make, although that is indexed for inflation. I believe that was one of the changes they made back in the 80s. So it increases every year, but you know, they could increase that. You know, there are certain politicians out there who want it on everything. You know, they want you to no matter how much money you make, you want, they want you to you know, to pay the full 7.65 for both Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So that is one possibility. I don't think that one will fly, although I do see them increasing the amount. I just don't think they're going to make it unlimited. You know, they might, they might jump it up from 120 to 150 or something like that to give themselves a boost. I think that one is, is in the cards. Yeah, during the Clinton administration, they started taxing the benefit, which was interesting because they had never taxed it before. And of course, by taxing the benefit, you actually reduce the benefit without actually saying you're reducing the benefit. You can see the way the way politicians work, right? Rather than just say, well, we're going to lower people's Social Security benefit, you know, they knew that was political suicide. I mean, ARP would be setting the capital on fire. So instead, they came up with a theory that said rich retirees will have to pay taxes on their benefits. Of course, the, the people who pay taxes on their benefit are not rich at all. If you have a retirement income, which includes half your Social Security benefit, if you're married and it's over $44,000 and up to 85% of your check is not tax-free, it's subject to taxation. Now, you'll pay whatever your, your rate is, but that was another, that was a myth that they pointed out. So that is a, you know, certainly taxing the benefit is another strategy that they can do. They can say, well, instead of us taxing it, taxing 85% of the benefit, we're going to tax 100% of the benefit. There is a two-step threshold. Um, some people only pay the tax on half their benefit. Well, they could jump that up to 100%. So that's clearly another way that they could address the problem. Third way would be to raise the age. Now, it's interesting. When FDR signed the program in place, it was age 65. That was the, uh, the age at which you could collect the benefit. Then they lowered it to 62. I, I've never researched the, the rationale behind it. My guess is they thought if they did that, it might help with unemployment because you could have potentially have some people choose to retire early and their jobs will be taken um, by others. This is the problem when government gets into macroeconomics. It, it rarely works. There's a lot of laws of unintended consequence that come into play. And uh, that's clearly, uh, I think, what happened there. So, you know, to raise the age, well, what they've done now is if you were born from 1960 on, you can collect at age 62. But to get your what they call your full benefit, which is the amount of money you would receive and, and be allowed to continue to work uh, without having a reduction in benefits, that's now age 67. And the thought is that they'll push that age even further back. Maybe they'll push it to age 70. Another idea they're floating out is what they, again, describe as rich retirees having getting a reduction in their benefit. Of course, how they define rich is, for lack of a better term, rich, <laughs> because they have no idea what they're doing there. They, they base it purely on reported income, not off of net worth, 
And if you've done good planning, well, then you can show your taxable income is low, but your tax-free income is high. So, for example, if you had $5 million sitting in your Roth IRA account, it doesn't matter how much money you pull out of there, you're going to be considered poor because none of it's taxable. Now, you and I know you're not poor at all. You're one of the wealthiest people in the world. But that's how government looks at it. Not a good way to look at it, but that's one of the so-called fixes that they will do. What's going to happen? Well, again, let's keep in mind, this is not a new problem. This problem has occurred numerous times and, and will continue until perhaps until the baby boomers die off or becomes in vogue again to start having large families, which I don't really foresee that happening given, you know, the advances in medical science today. I don't think families back in the 30s and 40s were having large families out of choice. I think it just kind of happened that way, you know, except you know, there are certain religions where, you know, they encourage larger families. But there aren't too many married couples in me today who hope to have eight kids. So it just it's more of, a, of an accident. And since medical science has minimized, you know, for lack of a better term, accidents, don't feel bad. We all were one. I'm pretty sure I was one, too. You know, that's that's what's you know transpired. So that's not going to change. We're not going to suddenly start to see a huge change of population. Europe has this problem big time uh, with their system. And so they sought immigration as a way to fix their math. But as we've seen, that has had unintended consequences as well. So what's going to happen going forward? Well, I have a hunch they will do a little bit of everything. I think they will probably tax more of the benefit. I think they will probably push back the starting age. I think they will tax more uh, for the working people. So either they will make you put more in. So instead of only paying 7.65 on the first 120, you might pay the first 150 or 180. But of course, there aren't that many people that earn that much that's going to make a huge dent. So maybe what they'll do is they'll say, okay, with Medicare, Medicaid, we're raising it to 8%. There are a number of strategies that are in place there that can address the problem. I don't think kicking the can down the road and just say, don't worry, it's not going to be a problem is, is indeed the way to fix it. I do want to emphasize, though, is that if you're already receiving the benefits, I don't think you have anything to worry about other than possibly that some of that benefit may be taxed a little bit more. That's about the only thing I can see happening there for you. The problem isn't really those of you who are currently receiving checks. It's those of us who have yet to receive our check. We are the problem because the math isn't looking all that favorable for us. Now, if you have not yet received your check, there are strategies that you can put in place to make that benefit tax-free. I don't have time to take you through all of them, or really any of them, but we have materials here at our office that we can share with you, conversations we can have with you that will show you the steps that you can take. Now, you're not avoiding tax entirely. It may be more an issue of tax timing. When do you pay the tax? But those strategies definitely do exist. And if anything, this news should serve as an even bigger motivator to getting that done. All right. So that's the first thing that came out in the news. The second thing came out in the news was a proposal to simplify taxation. Now, as I record this with you, it's just rumor. They've been very discreet in terms of uh, you know what it's going to, to be, what it's going to look like. So I really don't know a lot of specifics. However, if you see the way the politicians who are in control here are reacting to certain questions, because a lot of them talk in doublespeak, here's the gist I'm getting. 
I'm getting they're going to go to a maybe just two brackets. And one of the ways that they're going to maybe offset some of the tax reduction is to minimize the amount that you can deduct from your 401k contribution. So right now, you can deduct 18,000 if you're under age 50. You can deduct 24,000 if you're over age 50. Next year, both of them are set to go up by $500. You don't pay tax on that money. You pay tax on it later when you pull the money out. Government wants the tax dollars now. They don't want them later. So what I think is likely is from what I'm hearing, some of the doublespeak, is they may raise it from, say, 24000 if you're over age 50 to, I don't know, 27000 And if you are uh, working, it might go from 18 to 21 But you won't be able to deduct it all. So you can put money in, but it won't all be deductible. Now, I'm hoping that they will allow for that which is not deductible to go into a Roth structure rather than a will tax you later on the growth structure. So if, if it was a Roth structure where you put money in, you pay the tax on the money, but later in life when it grows, you pull the money out, you pay no tax, fine. That's actually, in the long run, that's good for everybody. If they say, well, it'll be, you know, you're going to put your money in and you'll get the original contribution back tax-free, but you got to pay tax on the growth. That is not so appealing. So we'll see what happens there. As far as that goes but if it's a matter of moving people more towards the approach of pay the tax now on your savings and pay no tax later that might actually be a good thing it may hurt at first but given the possibility of tax rates rising in the future I think that may actually be a win-win for people we'll see no matter what happens I want you to know that me and my staff will be here for you to help you navigate through it and if that means to make changes to your strategy, well, naturally, we're going to be calling you to do just that. If you don't work with us, if you have questions on these issues, you want to talk more, please, you know, reach out to us. I, it's a great honor that people listen to this program as many as you do. I can tell by the downloads. It just gets more and more popular every single week. Share it with your friends because with all humility, I think we talk about a lot of things on this podcast that other financial advisory shows don't talk about. I mean, they'll, they'll get into some of the basics 101, but I want to get into the strategy of things. And that's what this Solving the Financial Puzzle is all about. It's, it's trying to get deal with the, the complexities at play and try to help you simplify things. So I think in the, in the end of the day, none of the changes I'm seeing are fatal, but they just, again, speak to the need of proactive planning. So if you're just, you know, if you did a, a plan five years ago and it's sitting in a drawer and you've never looked at it, no one's ever talked to you about revising or whatever, you got a problem there. That, that plan is worthless. It's like old milk. You ain't going to want to use it. So that needs to be revisited. So if you uh, want to talk more, feel free. Always reach out to us directly. Uh, you can reach out to me a number of ways. Uh, first of all, my telephone number is 513-563-PLAN. That's 513-563-7526. You can go to our website, which is matsonandcapril.com. Uh, you can also email me, dan at matsonandcapril.com, and I'll be more than happy to answer whatever questions that you might have. So until next time, thank you all for listening. I'm Dan Capril, and thank you, and have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. 
and be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADD and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.